Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Barjuri. In today's show, I am talking to Phil Shomshaw from Startup Agency Brightside. I've known Phil probably for about 10 years, and he is a lovely fella, a very professional, experienced communicator, and he set up Brightside with his other half. And their focus is on how to use social media to build leadership profiles for personal branding, for corporate communications. In this show, Phil shares some of his methodology around how does he help leaders to use social media as a way to communicate, and where does he look for ideas and inspiration and influence. I hope you enjoy the show. Phil, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Andy. How are you doing? I'm oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Mustn't mustn't grumble. I suppose a very English thing to say, isn't it? But uh, good to have you here. Uh, I've known you for ages, Phil. I can't think how we first met or when we first met. It just feels like it was a long time ago. I, I think we're we're the two people connected by Bernie Mitchell. Yet another one of those connections. I think. He oh, it's a Bernie thing, is it? Okay. It might be. Yeah, you've. I, I attended some of your events, uh, bloggers meetups that you used to do. So ah, okay came across you good that's right because you, you are you are a blogger aren't you uh the red rocket i think is it the red rocket yeah that's what i used to do yeah it's more um more in the bright side now so our new business is uh called bright side digital engagement getting my plug in there uh, so <laughs> kind of, i've left the red rocket behind uh, have you so, okay uh, yeah Oh, I won't. I won't delve there. But I did like the way you bridged it into your uh, agency name there, Phil. Very good. Yeah, a, a real right. comms pro. <laughs> 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 but look, uh, I think what we've talked about over the years, and where I really know you from, is because you've been an agency man, a PR and comms man for for a while. You're a real professional, and uh, you've li- launched your new agency, Brightside, which is hugely exciting for for you, I'm sure. And I wanted to just kind of explore a bit what you're doing with Brightside in terms of uh, executive level communications, profiling. I don't quite know how you, how you phrase it, but what is it you're doing to help brands and leaders to better position themselves to communicate better through social media? I think that's really where your expertise or your focus is right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's something I've sort of just stumbled across partly by accident, actually, if I'm honest, because... I'd been doing a lot of um, social media and content marketing work over the last few years at my previous agency. And one of the things I started to get involved in was training um, C-level executives for firms like Vodafone and Fujitsu and Cisco. And one of the things we found was that executives are actually really outperforming brands when it comes to um, social media, particularly in the B2B market. So, um, you know, posts that you might put out for an executive will get much more engagement, retweets, likes, all of those kind of all of that good stuff. And I think the reason is that, you know, in today's day where trust in brands and institutions is, is not necessarily at its highest, uh, people want to hear from other people. And, and the networks themselves have changed their algorithms to work better for people rather than sort of third party organisations. So all of that means that it's actually there's no, never been a better time for for leaders or individuals to um, to really market themselves on social media, and um, that's what I'd sort of started to do. And at the time, I thought there's a, there's a business in this. So uh, whilst we do other things, that's the kind of that's the arrowhead, that's the main area of our focus. Uh, you know, over the next couple of years, I think. 
Okay. And, and it's interesting because there are clearly some leaders that do this really, really well. I mean, to pick a really obvious example, uh, Richard Branson is very high profile. His social presence is really, really good. And that fits his personality and his brand as well. But not every business leader needs that level of profile or do they? You know, what's, why do business leaders need to think about this area of communications? Why is it important? Well, I don't think everybody is going to have the uh, clout and uh, investment that Richard Branson clearly has behind him. And he is the most um, followed person, uh, business leader on on LinkedIn. But, you know, I think everybody can learn a bit from the way that he conducts himself. In fact, um, I was on his site the other day looking at how he was sort of putting himself across on his blog. And it, you know, he's the master storyteller in the way that he's constantly used his own persona, his own brand uh, to tell the virgin story. And I think, I think everybody can learn from that to a degree. And I think that if you consider how, how brands now can, um, can, can really leverage what the, what the people are actually doing and making it a people's story. So it doesn't matter if you work in a small tech startup and there are only three of you in the building or you work for a local authority or you work for an NHS trust. I think everybody can can sort of follow these principles. So who else is doing it really well? I mean, Branson's the easy one to pick out, isn't he? Because he's obviously he's been doing it for years. He's very high profile. But there must be other leaders that aren't quite so high profile that you've seen are doing this super well that we could learn from. Well, one I've been talking about in the last couple of weeks, actually, is, is Bernard Looney, who is the new CEO of BP. So another very big company, but... A very different company because BP isn't without its reputational challenges. It has the likes of Greens, Greenpeace and other organisations really you know, giving it a problem. And um, yeah, you would say, I bet many of his advisors would say, don't go anywhere near social media because you're just going to be a target. And I, I'm, I really admire his uh, approach and the way that he's decided to actually go out there you know, straight out the bat saying, you know, I want to be more transparent. I want to do something different. I want to listen to you. And his initial, you know, LinkedIn posts, and he was new to social media as well. He wasn't doing it before. His initial posts got enormous levels of engagement. And whilst you know, it isn't practical for him to reply to all of them, he has, he has, he has engaged and answered a lot of people's questions. And he did all of that before um, he had his big um, press conference uh, last week so you know he, he'd sort of set his stall out and really prepared himself and um, you know just applied the, the straightforward principles of being being transparent having a point of view listening to what other people have to say uh, not just using it as a piece of PR sort of rehash um, so you know he, he's a good example yeah okay and and I think he's he's in a position where he could easily get shot down because you know the head of an oil major is not you haven't got a lot of fans there really have you it's a difficult place to be Bernard is a, a great example and yes he is he is a target because you know he's going to get criticism for doing it but BP always will and I think that the CEO is the ultimate custodian of the brand. And if the CEO hasn't got the confidence to put him or herself out there, then why should people believe? And having made a quite big announcement around BP's investment in green technologies, you know, the fact that he's prepared to do that personally and get, you know, get people's views on social media just makes it a much more believable story. 
Mm, good example of leadership. But it does make me think a few years ago, I used to do quite a lot of work helping get speaking opportunities for execs. And someone turned around to me once and said, there's no value in speaking opportunities. That's just the value is for the person doing the speaking to help them bounce into a new job or get the next one on the career ladder. So is this just a personal branding exercise or do you see or see real value in this for the organizations behind the execs as well? Well, firstly, I would disagree with the, the point on the speaker platform, actually, because I think, you know, that just shows that they haven't really thought about it as a as a way of um, storytelling for the brand. And you know, people do want to hear from other people. You know, how many TED Talks do we all, we all watch and how many podcasts do we all listen to? All of these are just forms of storytelling and social media is just another way of doing it. So, yes, there is an upside for, for the leader getting their next job or getting a promotion. But actually, it's more than that. It's about leadership and good quality leadership. And when I've trained people in the past around social media, I have to say I've struggled sometimes to make it stick. And what I discovered was that actually I was framing it wrong and I was trying to basically imply that social media is just something they should do to tick a box and all of those things. But actually it's about leadership. It's about how do I be a better leader? And most CEOs have got quite complex audiences. Uh, They might be talking to employees, customers, government, other stakeholders, owners, and so on. And they can't talk to all of those people individually. It's impossible. But social media gives them an opportunity to scale that conversation. They can reach many, many people. So the the personal touch is is still really important in in real life. But social media just gives them an outlet to be able to expand that out and to continue the conversation. Yeah, I think that's a valid point there in terms of one-to-many communications, almost on a personal level, isn't it, I suppose, because the recipient of your message can see you delivering it. So you get that almost as good as you can get to, from a one-to-many perspective through that platform. Yeah, I totally understand that. I think there is an I think there is an element here of personal branding, though. Definitely, that's a part of it. I think that should is probably part of the reason why people want to engage with this. But I can see from a leadership point of view, you know, that one-to-many, but also kind of inspiring your different stakeholder groups. So not only your customers or your investors uh, or public affairs, if you're looking to influence that area, but also your internal audiences as well, your um, employees, if you're in a large organization. So I think that's a good, it's a good mechanism for engaging with that audience as well. Yes, because, you know, there's plenty of studies out there that show that people People trust and respect the, the company that they work for when their own leader is, is very you know, available and transparent and on social media. So I think it, you know, it's an upside for internal communications. And it, it's something that scales as well. I mean, you know, people copy the behaviors of their leaders and they, they ape them. So if you, if you have a leader who is putting themselves out there in the right way, then I think that it also encourages the employees to do the same and copy them. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, we do follow leaders that we admire and respect. And if we see those behaviours in in someone like a Branton or whoever the leader is, then we can obviously, as you say, ape those a little bit. So there's two communications guys here, basically, you and I talking about communications and saying it's a good idea. Obviously, we're going to say that because that's the world that we're in. But there's a lot of people that aren't doing this yet. So what's the reluctance? What's holding people back from getting into this kind of exec level comms on social? There was quite an interesting study done by Brunswick Brunswick recently, and they found that they did a study of the top, I think it was 100 
might be more CEOs um, in the UK and the US, and they found that 48% of um, CEOs were using were on social media, but even actually only a fraction of those were actually using it regularly. And I think you know I was quite surprised by that, and I've done some research myself a couple of years ago. And we found that only 12% of CEOs in the, in the top sort of companies were on, on Twitter and 75% were on LinkedIn, but only a few of them actually using it properly. So clearly, clearly there is a reluctance for leaders to do it. And I think that the main reasons why they don't is that they are risk averse, that they see this as something that's, you know, that, you know, why, you know there's plenty of downsides and no upside, so they don't want to take the risk. They see it as something that's a chore. They haven't got the time to do it. Mm. Um, and they don't want to trust other people to do it for them. So a lot of the time, there'll be agencies that would offer this kind of service. But when it comes to it, the people that are actually be delivering it are often quite junior. Uh, so they're happy for, ironically, for these junior people to be running their brand pages. But when it comes to their own personal things, that they, they suddenly lose the trust. Isn't that odd? You know, which actually takes you into another kind of rabbit hole of conversation about you know why why they're happy with one and not the other, and they they lack a bit of expertise and they don't want to be exposed. You know they don't want people to say, oh you know you should you should be able to do this. You should be an expert at this. So I think they're the main reasons that I've that I've come across. Mm, okay, so as part of your work, are you trying to? almost train those things out of people to, to you know, because risk can can be managed, can't it? And so can the trust there as well. If you've got the right team around you, you can overcome those things quite quickly. So I guess part of your challenge is to find people that you can actually train those traits out of or look for those that are already sold on the idea that this is important, but don't quite know how to do that. I, th- I think a lot of it's to do with the framing. So I think once you can frame it around leadership, you've usually got them. Then there's a conversation with the comms team, so the PR directors, and they will already be quite familiar with working with a CEO to train them to handle the media or to speak to the media. And really, it's just the same thing. And they, they, they will practice that and they will coach, a, coach an executive in speaking to the media and they'll prepare for that. So why wouldn't you treat social media the same way mm. and with the same level of discipline? And I think if you can get those two audiences to talk to each other and to buy into the concept then that's the way that you can go about it. So mm. yes, there is a big coaching thing in play, but a lot of it's about how you set your stall out just in the same way that you would in any kind of media relations exercise. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, it really is just another media channel, isn't it? You know, why you wouldn't ignore a particular media just because you're fearful of it. You would engage with it and train and learn how to engage with that, that particular media channel. So with that in mind then, what kind of, what are the kind of, core steps what's the methodology someone can go through to make sure that they are not only taking advantage of social media from an exec profiling and comms point of view but you know really preparing for it properly so the first thing to do is to spend some time with the leader to understand what it is that they want to achieve you know what's their vision what's their mission what what direction are they taking the business and really get under the skin of that you also need to make sure that you understand what the comms leader's mission is in all of this as well. So what the, what the messaging of the business is, where they're trying to go, what they're trying to communicate. And once you've consumed and digested all of that, it's really getting in a room with the executive to, you know, the way that I do it is to run a workshop with them one-to-one, sometimes with the comms person in the room as well, to really get to know about them. And some of it is, 
you know, what's their backstory? What what is it that has taken them to the situation that they're in now? Because often in the backstory that helps you tell you, you know, do your storytelling, but it also helps you understand why they've got why they should have permission to be talking about what they want to talk about. You know, it's why you and I can't be doing that because we might be able to say the same things, but we have no expertise in running an oil company or a big, large uh, transatlantic flight business. So, you know, we have no backstory. And then the other thing is to talk to them a bit about, you know, what is it that they're, what's their personality type and what is it, how are they going to conduct themselves on social media? Because one of the things I found uh, in past lives was that people were concerned about sort of coming across in a particularly homogenized way. So, yeah, there is a certain way of doing social media. And I think you can you know, do some work with the executive to, find, to, to show that you don't have to do it one way, that you can do it their way. And they'll have a particular style and tone of voice that you need to capture um, to sort of understand that. Um, once you've got those things in place and understanding what their talking points are as well, so what is it that they want to say? What's their call to action? You can sort of turn this into uh, a, a plan that they can then execute. So sort of running it like a micromedia relations plan with an editorial calendar. And the way that I like to work with people is to kind of co-manage, you know, co-manage the process with them because they do need to do, they do need to do some of it themselves, but also they can, they can get some outside support, whether it's in, internally within their business or, or through agency support to do some of the heavy lifting. Um, and then they just need to get, you know, get started and, and get going with it. Yeah, I, I like that that process. Then it's great that you've talked at the very beginning there about what's the alignment with the overall goals and vision of the business. Because I think one of the things that quite often we get charged with is not aligning what we're doing in marketing and communications with the actual overall business strategy so well. And it's something that I think as a profession we we need to make sure that we're always on, so we're not just seen as that kind of spending department. We're actually adding strategic value to where the business is going, and then that that authenticity is key, isn't it? Because it's easier to engage with someone that's authentic, that has a real backstory that's relevant to what they're talking about. And this, it's not just a superficial comms piece. It's this is why this person is motivated to talk about these particular subjects, not just because it's the business goals, but because this is his experience or her experience and her background, for example. So I like that. I like that very much, that authenticity in the communications. And I think that in exec comms that's quite important yeah well otherwise it's just a press release on linkedin isn't it i mean you know <laughs> and who wants to see that who wants to see more press releases i know I've, I've written many in my time so um i don't need to write any more of them and press releases are important but they serve a different role and yeah. i think that social media gives a perfect opportunity to be much more personal to to open up a bit people people like that people like to see someone's weaknesses they want to see you know, some, what, what somebody really believes about something. And I think that if you can do that, especially now with video and podcasting and all of these other tools to communicate our message, it doesn't have to be long form articles. Mm, yeah, no, totally agreed. Uh, there's a place for long form articles, but I think that we're used to a much richer media experience. You know, we like video, we like podcasts, we like a real mixed bag of stuff to entertain us these days, depending on where we're consuming that content. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the ones, and I haven't done this myself yet, a little sort of trick I've just sort of picked up from listening to somebody else's podcast is around using using video messaging. 
So instead of replying somebody by email, just record a, just record a video message and send it to them. And can you imagine if that was, you know, you're, you're receiving a video message directly from your CEO that you're connected through, um, you know, whether it's on Instagram or WhatsApp or through, um, through LinkedIn, that would be you know, hugely powerful and, and it would feel very personal. Yeah, that, that's actually really interesting. I've got a few clients that uh, have, we've kind of migrated from email to WhatsApp. I don't know whether you've seen that with some of your clients or not, Phil, but email is kind of being a bit left behind in place of uh, being replaced by WhatsApp in my world to some extent. Mm, mm. And sometimes you'll get uh, a, a, an audio recording reply to a message. And that's quite nice as well. It kind of, you get, you get the sort of the sense of tone of voice and the emphasis of the words much better than you do through text communication. So I can see how that works. And that's kind of, we were talking earlier on a little bit earlier about the fact that it's going to be quite time consuming to manage that engagement. And we were talking about Bernard Looney at BP, you know, having been able to engage with some of his um, comments, et cetera, on LinkedIn, but perhaps not all. It's interesting, isn't it? It might actually be easier to have engaged with more of those using video as the, as the media. I think so. I mean, I think there's a key point about trying to make it personal. So rather than just sort of sending out a video response to everybody, which which is useful in a certain context, but I think if you can also do more highly personalized versions or mm-hmm. from groups, you might have small customer groups or something like that. It just shows that you've gone the extra yard, that you care about somebody. And that, you know, that is something that a lot of CEOs get charged with not caring about their customers, not caring about their audience. Mm. Just a really easy way of doing that. It takes a bit of time commitment, but I don't think it doesn't matter if it's a bit rough or whatever. Yeah. How do you manage that scale? I mean, the rough's good and people like that kind of authenticity of something that's not too polished to get that. But how do you manage that scale? Because it is. You know, the, the the average leader doesn't have a lot of flexibility and time in their in their day in their schedule. How do you build in time for this engagement? Is my my thinking? Perhaps that's one of the main reasons why people are reluctant because they know the time commitment required in an already hectic, busy schedule. How do they get this in there as well? Well, clearly they can't in a large company do do everybody. They have to mm. you know, do do at random. But I think it's about one of those things, what we were talking earlier about, how transparency and engagement scales in the business. So mm-hmm. if you start you know, doing that for a select number of people, and then you imagine that your sales executives, your customer support people, other, other people within the organization also start adopting those behaviors, then suddenly that very direct form of engagement will scale throughout the business. So mm-hmm. you can't expect the CEO to cover every, every customer. But if you can start, you know, changing behaviours, then then you get a much better result overall. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll go with that. Talk to me a bit about editorial planning, Phil, because you see a lot of people that don't really, perhaps, don't have a joined up thinking around what's the what's the content they're going to put out through social. So, what does a good editorial plan look like? How do you how do you create that? Well, one of one of one of the things that I. I did at my last company, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but with one of my larger clients was they had a situation where their brand team and their PR team didn't really talk to each other very much. And that's really not an uncommon situation, as I'm sure (laughs) you've had with clients before. And listening to that will will also resonate with that. And one of the achievements was just getting them talking to each other. And we used to do a weekly call where we would get everybody on the line and just decide what the story of the week was for the weeks ahead and 
just having a single story that everybody agrees on and you know what's going to be on the homepage of the website everybody pitch their stories what do you want you know because you've got all these different stakeholders that are running different campaigns say well what is it that you want to see so i think having you know getting all the right people on the line to actually join up an editorial calendar that works for the whole business not just a you know working in silos which is what typically happens so most social media calendars live in one world and then you've got the pr calendar somewhere else and the brand calendar somewhere else so actually joining them up together i think is the most important thing yeah i think that integrated communications is important a few years ago i used to work with lastminute.com i was doing their social media and we used to have a weekly meeting where the ad agency and the pr agency and myself would get together with the marketing team at last minute and just integrate coordinate what we were doing that week and that was such a good way of making sure we're all on the same page and i haven't seen that done it was a very simple thing but i haven't seen it done very well anywhere else to be completely honest with you yeah it's simple but just takes effort doesn't it and it takes buy-in and people tend to you know they 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 want their fiefdom and they they want to have control over their fiefdom and they people don't tend to want to give that up but it's just, you know, it's just good marketing, isn't it? It's what we learned about, you know, all those many years ago about, you know, seeing a message, the same message in multiple places, multiple times will be much more effective. And that's yes. essentially what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what sort of, um, what sort of leaders are you working with right now, Phil? Who's, who's the sort of, um, where are you making the biggest impact with your new agency? Well, we're doing a few different things. We're working with um, actually more startups at the moment. So we're working with a tech startup, um, a training business, and we're just about to start an engagement with a with a, with another small business. Because you know, whilst we've been talking a lot about the leaders of big multinationals, there's you know a lot of these principles can also apply to smaller businesses as well. So that's what we're doing in the opening months of our business. Um, we definitely still want to do work for larger firms as well. So. I think that um, you know the opportunity applies to to businesses of all sizes. Yeah, you know, I think that's really important. And through a lot of the work that I do, I do a lot of uh, marketing teaching through the CIM. And quite often, we've got a room full of marketeers that might work for medium sized brands. And the content often refers to people like Apple or Coca Cola, and you know the guys have enormous budgets and that's not necessarily so easily relatable but i guess in this area of communications you don't need a huge budget do you You just need to have a plan structured approach whether you're an sme or a startup or a mid-sized firm you can still use the same methodologies yeah you're right and i think what the wonderful thing about doing it for smaller businesses is it's actually easier to see the results directly and correlate them with with other measurements so one of our clients that we're working with at the moment where we're supporting um, a lady with with her uh, content and social media activity is that she's seeing direct results from a sales perspective. So oh, brilliant. She, is, she is getting business that she can directly correlate to her social media activity. She's getting loads of new inbound LinkedIn requests. And, you know, she started this from scratch and she wasn't getting it before so it's really easy for her to see the results so that's actually quite a lot more rewarding in many respects yeah i'm sure it is and i think it's great to be able to tie it down to actual revenue as well you know that's real roi in that uh, in that activity isn't it which is great okay phil so where do you go for inspiration and ideas who is it you look to for guidance is there any are there any podcasts you listen to, books you read, places you go that you think other people should check out to get some ideas and inspiration to? 
Well, the book I'm reading at the moment is um, Social Media in a Crisis by Kate Hartley. So it's a, um, a book written by, and I hope I've got the title of that right, um, but I, the author I definitely have right, is written by one of our peer group and she runs a social media practice where they do simulations for businesses that are dealing with um, social media uh, problems um, and general comms problems. Oh, brilliant. Quite, yeah, so where's me saying everybody should be doing social media? I think you also need to be very prepared for what happens when it goes wrong. And it's uh, a very practical book. It draws on a lot of psychology as well, talking about why people behave a certain way. And, you know, we haven't really talked about a lot of the sort of negative side of social media and all of the uh, flaming and, and fake news and all of that stuff. So that, that's been a really interesting read for me. Um, I listen to podcasts like you and just try and, you know, have a broad uh, broad understanding of what's going out in the world. I, I like listening to stuff like Free Economics or Mitch Joel and all, all of those sort of same places. Uh, that you do. So, yeah, uh, brilliant. Love Mitch Joel. I've been listening to his podcast for years. I think he's on episode 700 or something now. So, I mean, that's an awful lot of interviews he's done. <laughs> yeah, it's epic. Yeah, yeah, people that can keep going at something. I think that's that's another point in comms, isn't it? That you don't just sort of do something for three months. You kind of build something and you, you keep going at it, particularly in the world of podcasting. But I think that also applies to other things like blogging. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that the ability to be consistent and to do it over a long period of time is where you can really, I guess, build up equity and in terms of your sweat equity almost. But it's good what you said there in terms of what happens when it goes wrong, because I think we're quite optimistic as communicators that we'll start to do things that will make a difference. And not all always do we think about the possible downsides here. And there are real opportunities for it to go wrong, particularly if you're in, a, in an oil major. We talked about Bernard Looney earlier, earlier, but there are other examples of leaders that aren't doing this very well. Um, if we go to the, I guess, the most high-profile leader in the world who is doing a lot of this stuff, um, it's not necessarily always well-received. Of course, uh, the president of the United States, Mr. Donald Trump, uh, there are examples there perhaps of what not to do. Yeah, yeah Trump, the man who validated Twitter as um, <laughs> a communications tool. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, just referring back to Kate's book, is that she talks about your ability to cope with a crisis. A lot of it is to do with how you go into the crisis and the equity that you've built up with your audiences. So if people already hate you or that they you're not serving their needs then your ability to handle that is really diminished. Mm. So if you sort of take this back to the conversation about leaders being available and putting themselves out there on social media, you can't sort of just suddenly turn up. You need to put in all of the groundwork first. So I think if you do that as part of a comms program, you're much better able to deal with things when they go wrong. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, take your time to build that relationship with your audience, isn't it? Actually, what we didn't talk about a lot earlier is consideration as to who those audiences are and you know what they care about and what the channels that they're going to engage with are so i think there's there's obviously a piece in that methodology where we need to think about who are those audiences we're trying to engage with you know what where are they going to like to receive information is it linkedin is it twitter is it somewhere else some other form of social media and building that into your plan when you are thinking about your style your tone of voice and that will help you to think about which channels to use as well because Social media is multifaceted, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, that's where your engagement with your comms team really comes into play. So this isn't a silo activity that 
you work with a CEO on their discretionary budget, it should be something that's joined up with the rest of what's going on in comms and marketing so that, you know, you understand who, who those different personas are and, you know, who those audiences are, what they read, where they hang out and all of that stuff because it should play into the plan. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Phil, I get it. I'm sold. I like the idea. <laughs> you up outside, buy your ticket. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good. Where do I sign? Now, Phil, if people want to find out some more, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? How can they find you? I'm guessing it's on social media, but give me some clues. Well, I've, I've got a really um, easy easy way of finding me because I've got a, a unique surname, but people do struggle with it. So Phil Shomshaw, which is S-Z-O-M-S-Z-O-R, so if you plug that into LinkedIn um, or go to our website, brightside.digital. Brightside.digital. Okay, cool. I'm guessing Shomshaw is not a particularly uh, common name. I've never come across anybody else called Shomshaw. No, there's only a, literally only a handful of us in the UK. So um, when I do my, um, if I plug Shomshaw or Phil Shomshaw into Google, then I'm fairly sure I'm going to have those results. But um <laughs> It's actually another consideration for the CEOs is what their digital footprint is. So, you know, this it's all stuff. It all joins up together, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, well, that, as it should do. As it should do in Marcom, shouldn't it really? Phil, thanks a lot for taking the time to yeah, come on the show this morning. Uh, brightside.co, love the name Brightside. Uh, we talked about this before. It relates, it, it kept, brings me back to the killers, Mr. Brightside, which is a brilliant record. So I was pleased to see it turn into an agency name as well. <laughs> so good luck with your venture and I look forward to uh, speaking to you again very soon. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs>